That Force Radio. That Force Radio is rated M for mature. Or should that be immature? Hey guys, Dustin Wint. Hey, this is Scott Snyder. This is Paul Dini. And you're listening to Bat Force Radio. And you're listening to Bat Force Radio. You're listening to Bat Force Radio. This is Tom King. I write Batman Bitch. And this is Bat Force Radio. Alright everyone, welcome back to Bat Force Radio, a Batman slash DC podcast with no limits. We got a really special big guest in here tonight. But first, let me get the panel out of the way. I got Robin Cross from Canada. I got Arkham Mimate 0801 from West Virginia. Yo. I got Grandpa Batman from Texas. Hey guys. I got Bat Force Tom from sunny California. Hey. I got the Trunkler from Chicago. What's going on? And I got Robo Rich from Detroit. <laughs> Yo. Yep. Alright, Grams, bring our boy. Okay, we are joined tonight by one of the uh, most decorated writers currently in comics, the very highly respected Charles Soule. Very exciting to be here, talking to people from all over the country at once. It's uh, You guys have a pretty broad uh, geographical spread there. Yes, sir. <laughs> Thank you very much. What our right. listeners need to know is that Charles is also an attorney. So uh, give us a background on how you got into the comics world with your education and, and legal background. Well, I mean, honestly, it's the way it really came about was that I, um, you know, I, I went to law school and then I graduated law school and I started practicing law and I realized almost immediately that that it was going to keep me because of the schedule when you start practicing law is extremely intense. And uh, I realized right away that it was going to make it very hard to continue doing the creative thing that I had had been doing up to that point, which was playing in bands and, and lots of music stuff. So I've been a been a musician since I was very young and I and I, I still am. But um, I was doing it much more seriously before I graduated from law school. And then when I started practicing, it's like, you know, these, these guys at the firm aren't going to let me just like bug out to go play a gig or something like that. You know, you got to work till <laughs> 11 at night. It's just, you know, those first few years are really intense. But I didn't want to stop having a creative outlet. And so I'm like, what can I do? It's sort of on the side. I can wake up early in the morning. I can um, do it late at night after I get home. And that was writing. So I started writing my first novel, actually, the summer between graduating from law school and starting practice. Um, and, and then I, you know, I worked on that for several years, um, started working on a second one. And then in that time, uh, you know, I, I got very back into comics. Um, a lot of us, you know, I, I don't know about you guys, but for me, kind of comics were, I had these phases where I was very heavy into it and then I'd kind of be out for a while, sort of just before. And then during starting practice law, I got really into it again. Uh, and so after writing the novels, which are this very sort of solitary multi-year process where you never know what's going to happen at the end, I, I started looking into writing comics because the process is so much faster. You know, you write a comic script mm-hmm. comparatively quickly, and then you find out, um, you know, if it's going to go. It's it's just a different, and you you know, you hand it off to somebody else, and you see the finished product when the art comes in. And it just was something that I was really kind of enjoying because of the like the speed of it, the immediacy of it. Um, and then fast forward a few years from there, so now we're probably in the you know 2007 range, and I'm I'm starting to go to conventions, starting to pitch stuff to a. Uh, to really small publishers and and in, in you know slave labor graphics SLG out of California picked up my book Strongman uh, um, way back when and then that came out in 2009 uh, and that was my first thing and then so from there it was really just about climbing the ladder and networking and leveraging and then around 2014 it was when everything really exploded I had um, you know I had I think three books going at DC at the same time I had three books going at Marvel um, I had done Death of Wolverine I had Letter 44 going. I was running the Inhumans, She-Hulk, like all of this stuff was happening at once. So that's kind of when I think probably most of you guys heard of me, maybe maybe a little bit before that, maybe, but um, but really that's when it all kind of blew up. So then from there, it's just been one great gig after another. I've been incredibly lucky, uh, and I, I love the slate I'm working on now, for sure. And during this time, you're also practicing law? Mm-hmm. Wow. I still am. I'm actually looking at my, oh. as, we, as we speak right now, I'm looking at my... Uh, my lawyer inbox to see what the hell I have to do. There's, yeah, there's plenty of stuff <laughs> going on still. Congratulations on your new book, Curse Words. Kind of a little Thank you. touch on that a little bit. Um, it's only had one issue out, so everyone needs to go and pick up Curse Words number one. Read it last night, and it's different than your work in the past. And I kind of wanted to ask, where did the inspiration come for Curse Words? So the book is about a, um, a wizard, right? It's, it's kind of a magic book, and it's about a wizard who pops up in New York City one day and tells everybody that he's super awesome, that he's he's like the best wizard around, he's gonna do magic for you. 
You know, you just pay him some money. He'll cast you some spells. It'll be great. And he gets super famous really fast. And nobody really asks too many questions because he's sweet. And, you know, it's this cool thing. But he is actually like a super evil. Where he comes from, he was like the worst wizard of all time. And he just kind of comes here. It's like when you go to college and it's your first day of freshman year. And you tell everybody that your name is like a different name. And you wear different <laughs> clothes. And you pretend you're into different bands to like put your old high school nerdy self behind you. Um, so that's kind of like what he does, except what he's doing is pretending he's not the most evil wizard of all time. He's like this nice guy. And so, um, ultimately that, that sort of starts to backfire pretty quickly when, when kind of his past starts to catch up with him and, and the world starts to kind of realize that maybe this guy is, is a prick. Um, and so it's, <laughs> it's, it's fun. It's, it's like funny, you know, which is something that I don't always get to put in my books just because, you know, not right. every big Marvel or DC book gets to be funny, but but Curse Words was designed from the start to be to be a, a book that you can have fun with, um, and part of that is my my main collaborator in the book is is my co-creator is Ryan Brown, who is one of the funniest people in comics, and so I'm really really lucky to be working with him. And so he brings this great like you, you write a scene and then he throws all this stuff into the background of it that's just fantastic, and then I can <laughs> I can use those elements to write jokes off that, and you know we just really wanted to write a book. That would let us both do absolutely whatever we wanted. We figured if a wizard is the main character, then you can do anything you want, right? Like you cast some spells and things happen and weird, weird stuff goes on. Like I just him making I, I wrote a, a rapper platinum was hilarious. Yeah, yeah, that's Johnny One. Um, so, so we see a client in the beginning of the book. His first, like, so he has all these clients who come in, and the one that we see in the beginning is this. He's kind of like Justin Bieber. He's like he's yes. very, very sure of himself. <laughs> he comes in and he's like, you know, I want you to make me platinum. Like, like not, you know, so that, you know, I'm always going to be a platinum artist constantly. Like, I'm always going to be number one platinum artist. And Wizard's like, that's stupid, but I'll do it. And so he does it. And so the guy is turned into like a total living metal platinum guy. And then he falls off a building and splits his head in half. So it's very, but, but it's still, <laughs> so it's it's that kind of book. Where like just any, you never know. You turn the page and literally anything anything can happen. And um, it's, so it's really goofy and strange. But it's also got this kind of. There's a real story there. It's not just random things. And so we we really tried to anchor um, the the story in that that one question I was talking about before. Like if you if you. If you go to a new place and you say you're something different than you were before, are you that new thing or are you still the thing that you were? Um, is it enough to say it or do you have to do it? And even if you, you do like be act like a good guy for a long time, does it uh, erase the bad things you might have done before? So that's kind of the hook of the story. Um, and we just put as much weird, we pile as much weird stuff on top of it as we can. So it's, you know, we've been <laughs> thrilled. The response has been awesome. All people have just been going crazy for it. We're really happy about it. Um, because it means we'll get to tell it for a long time. So it's cool. I love the fact that, you know, he, he's all hell bent on destroying the world. And then he looks down and sees this girl in a bikini. And he's like, you know, wait a second. I can do something here. <laughs> I can make this how I want it to be, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, he, the place he comes from, like his his home dimension, this place we call the whole world, um, is like, uh, it's like if Voldemort or Sauron or, you know, won in Lord of the Rings, like if Frodo didn't win. So it's, it's awful, you know, it's like dirty and dark and like everyone's screaming all the time. And, you know, the bad guys won there and, and, and nobody's free. Like everybody's sort of, everybody's a slave. It's just kind of what level of slave you are. So he comes here and he's like, people are kind of, you know, they're living their lives. They, they, you know, they, they have don't trouble. serve anybody. Yeah. Everywhere. But but more or less, you know, it's it's a lot happier than where he comes from. And and generally the 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 sort of currency in his world is fear. Um, like the more feared you are, the more powerful you are. Whereas here it's kind of like, you know, you can become, you know, the, the more beloved you are, the more famous you are, the more powerful you are. So he likes that. Um, that's a nice change of pace for him. And uh, and so he just thinks it might just be a better way to live. And so he he, he tries to do it. And. You know, we'll we'll see how it goes for him. Awesome. <laughs> so that's curse words. Make sure you go yep. grab a copy. It's uh, when when's the second <laughs> edition come out? Uh, so so the uh, the first print of issue one sold out uh, like before before press day, which was amazing. So the first issue came out to stores last Wednesday. Um, some stores should still have it. On um, like bigger stores should still maybe have some. Um, but but what they what images decided to do is do a second printing of issue one. So you're going to get issue one and issue two back on the shelves. Uh, on February 22nd, so you, you'll be able to get both both first both of the first few chapters at once on that day. 
Um, and certainly, if this sounds like something you like, tell your shop. That's really important, especially since I think we've got listeners all over the country here. So um, if this sounds like something you'd like, if you like my other work, uh, just, just go and say, look, I heard about this funny book. It sounds cool. Can you make sure I have it? And they will they will help you out. And I also love that the wizard looks like our own Robin Cross. <laughs> <laughs> he kind of does. He does, doesn't he, man? I, I assume it was on purpose. We we, yeah, we yeah, did course, meet once, course. meet a couple of years ago uh, in Toronto. Okay, well, the, we wanted him to look, uh, you know, cool. But it's also, we figured that making a... Um, a dude with a beard and glasses. I mean, he wears sunglasses, but there's still technically glasses. Is, is a demographic that a lot of comic book readers could probably identify with. Wow, that joke sure. went with a thud. That joke was better. <laughs> I have, I have um, gotten so many pictures of people holding up the cover of this book next to their bearded glass fa- glasses wearing faces. So, whatever. It was a good joke. <laughs> Robin, you should do that then. Yeah. I'll get I'll get right on it when we finish up. You know, we are mostly a, a Batman podcast, but we we talk about everything. And one thing that um, we've been dying to see is a new Batman Daredevil crossover. So let's get let's get into uh, other title that you're working on, and it is Daredevil, which you do mostly with uh, artist Ron Garney. Um, how did mm-hmm. you get involved Ooh. with Daredevil? Well, you know, as we talked about originally, I'm a um, a lawyer. And so Daredevil is also a lawyer, and and I had written a book called She-Hulk um, for Marvel kind of early in my time there, That and, and she's a lawyer as well. So they knew that I could write attorneys uh, decently well, and it was kind of, you know, even even from day one of when I came on board of Marvel, they were like, you know, if this, if this slot opens up, would you like it? And I said, absolutely, but I was loving what Mark Wade and Chris Somney were doing on it. Right. So... You know, it's it's with these books, you kind of have to wait till the rotation comes up, and if it if if it doesn't come up during your time there, it just doesn't. But they were very kind of, uh, you know, we were all sort of excited about what I might be able to do on the book. Uh, I was nervous because you're coming off this incredibly big award-winning run from from Wade and Somni and Paulo Rivera and his collaborators, um, uh, Marcos Martin, and and then, you know, and before that, you had the huge, you know, Frank Miller, uh, Brian Michael Bendis, Ed Brubaker. Um, you know, Stan Lee, you know, all these creators cast such a long shadow that it's, it's sort of nerve wracking to come onto it. But you can't you can't let something like that, you know, stop you. And so I, I came up with a take and, and we're now I think issue 16 came out yesterday. So so I'm well over a year into the run. I've got big plans for everything coming up. Marvel seems happy. The fans seem happy. And so, you know, it looks like I'm going to be staying on the title for a good time to come. It's excellent news. Yeah. And yes, um, I, I love your take on it because you actually took him back to New York. And I think that's very important. It's kind of like, you know, how Gotham city is as important to Batman. New York hell's kitchen is, is just as much a character for, for Matt Murdock. Yeah, I agree. I think that, um, you know, the, the Gotham thing, like you think about, you know, a character like Batman, like putting him in, you know, Miami, like, what would that even, you know, be, it just, I mean, maybe you could tell. <laughs> it'd be so weird. It yeah. would be, but it'd be fun to see one story there, you know, like you said, you said it there for a while, but if like, he's going to set up his set up shop there for five years, it just, it feel, it would feel like a different book. Um, right. Because it's just like you said, like the city is a reflection of him and what he's trying to do. And the same thing is true of, of Daredevil. Um, you know, it's where he grew up. It's it's where he has the majority of his rogues gallery. But that said, you know, I think that the San Francisco stuff that, that Mark did uh, was was great. You know, it was a nice change of pace. It was a way to mix things up, give him a new setting. And Mark had been on the title for a while, like a good while at that point. And so I understand, you know, there's a point when you do these longer runs. And I've been there myself. Like I just finished up a three year run on Inhumans and you're kind of like, all right, so so I've written a lot of stories about these people in their kind of castle off the coast of New York. Um, like, what's the, you know, where do I where do I go from there? Like, what's the next thing I could do? And so you you try to mix it up. And, and I know, um, you know, the same is true. Like, I, I'm, I'm tight with Scott Snyder, who was a, a, you know, still is a Batman writer. He's been writing Batman for years and years. And so, you know, I, a lot of, we've had a lot of discussions about the way to, keep the character fresh, whether it's Batman or Daredevil or whatever it is, when any of these long running characters on long runs, um, without betraying, like there's a point you can bend these characters, but if you bend them too far, they break. So it's always just kind of finding the balance and figuring out how to do it. You know? Well, one thing I like is that you're really staying more true to like, I guess, you know, not just his roots, but also, you know, his abilities and things like that. I mean, we all like Mark Wade's run on it, but I thought that he was doing some things that were a little bit out of character, especially with like him riding a motorcycle and stuff like that. I just, I don't see Daredevil riding a motorcycle, but yeah, uh, I mean, he's a, he's a blind man, you know, like, and, and one of the first things I did when I was kind of breaking stories was, 
to uh, think about what it really means. Like he's got radar sense, but like he he never he can't ever see the moon, right? He he um he might be able to know that it's moonlight out, but he can't ever see it. He doesn't know what the phase of the moon is. Um, he can't ever look in a mirror. He uh you know if there's he, he doesn't know what color things are. Like there's all these things that are. You know, people treat him like he can see, but there's a lot that he can't do. And, and you have to buy into those or sort of work with those limitations because they make the stories better. Anytime you point out that these things this guy is achieving, despite this incredible limitation, it just makes him a better hero, I think. Well, that's yeah, one thing definitely. I think is awesome about Daredevil because his blindness in the storytelling, especially in your storytelling, you make it very aware that he is blind you know whereas i remember a frank miller story where one of his girlfriends wrote him a letter and he's yeah. like okay well why is he reading a letter i mean i'm <laughs> <it's just> crazy <laughs> stuff. yeah i mean Braille. supposedly supposedly he can read those with his like he has his fingertips are sense enough that he can like read right print. but if he was just staring at yeah. it then that's ridiculous yeah, exactly. I, I like him and Cap were working together, and he had to defuse the bomb. And Cap's like, "How much time's left?" He's like, "Uh." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. He has to go chase down the the bomber or whatever. And he's like, "How do you shut this off?" <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's stuff like that. It makes it, it makes it better. Like it's you know, it's it's a scene that if he was if he could see that scene would have ended right there. We would have just done it. But now. You know, you, you figure out ways to me, to use the blindness to make the story more interesting. And there was another um, issue that I did uh, set in a casino. Um, it was issue eight. I, I love think. that. I love uh, that. Yeah. Thank you very much. But it's the same thing. Like, he's playing cards, and, and he has no idea what his cards are, but he's got to win. And so he has to use his powers to sort of get through it um, in, in what I hope was kind of a cool way. And, you know, it's it's thinking about stuff like that. And, you know, I'm the, the issue, I'm going to write an issue tomorrow for him. And, and it's it's another like that. You know, it's it, he's got this whole thing he's got to do in New York. And he's really hampered by the fact he can't see. But he's going to have to figure it out. You know, so we'll see. I, I, um, that, that episode or that issue really um, was something that I would have been wanting to see for a long time. I wanted to see Daredevil outside of New York. And the reason why that comes up, because... I think um, I was in Vegas with my wife for like a trip and I was at the uh, roulette table and I was like, I wonder what Daredevil would be like playing poker against these guys and like listening to their heartbeats and <laughs> stuff like well, that. Now, you know, now, you know, yeah. What you like. yeah. yeah. I, thought was, I, I really liked too how you did the aspect of him with uh, Apex too. you know, like where they're having that like mental struggle and everything. That was really yeah. cool to see with like his mental training and stuff. It's awesome. Yeah, I, I like the um, I like the idea of exploring his inter because he's a very, you know, I it's funny because I think I think Batman is this way too. Like they're both very internal characters in a way. Like they don't necessarily sure. always talk about what they're feeling. But I think the difference between Batman and Daredevil in terms of the way they're normally written, you often get like interior narration from Daredevil. You often like you. He doesn't say what he's feeling, but you you know what he's feeling because the narration that tells you what he's feeling. Like, he talks about himself in his head. But Batman, I mean, you know, depends on what you want to say, but at least in the modern times, that's not really that common. Um, and, like, I'm sure that there are exceptions. You know, you guys are the experts. But uh, but it just feels like he's, he's kind of... You know, he is what he is on the page. You're not getting to his head that much. You kind of have to see see what he's thinking by what he's saying and what he's doing. Um, whereas Daredevil, you get in, you get his inner psychological state kind of more. Um, and so that's why I think it's easier to have an issue like that work where, where you're seeing inside his mind. Uh, and there's actually another one. I enjoyed that one enough that there's another one coming up in issue 19 where you're sort of in his head in a way. Um, so I guess watch for that one. You did something different than a lot of writers, and you actually gave him a, a sidekick. Well, yeah, uh, yeah, yep. Um, that's blind spot. Um, he, you know, again, you you're coming off this signature run, this beautiful run that that won every award in the book, and you want to think of ways to take the character to places he hasn't been. And I thought, you know, we've seen so much of Daredevil being mentored in a way that, again, you don't always see with some of the other characters, but we've seen him be trained. You know, we know kind of what he did from from that radioactive accident, from being sort of trained by his dad, and then Stick takes over, and then he's working with the hand and all the other places that he learned how to do what he does. Um, and so I thought it might be neat to flip that around and show him teaching somebody. Uh, and then I don't know if, I don't know if you guys have caught up to the run, uh, like the issues that are out now, but, um, you know, that, that doesn't necessarily go that well for blind spot. And he's, he's, yeah. A, he's, yeah, he's a kid <laughs> who, you know, really wanted to, to, to do this job. And like, but you, you know, 
it's just like a lot of jobs. You don't know what it's really like until you're doing it. And, and he got in over his head really fast, which is something that tends to happen to anybody who gets into Daredevil's orbit. Um, and, and unfortunately, you know, things got, things got really intense for him. So, you know, his, his story is not finished. I mean, there's more to, more to do with Blindspot for sure. Um, and, and, and this, this will kind of open things up in a way that, that I think will be interesting to readers, but you know, I, I really, really like him. I think he plays an important role in the book and, and readers seem to like him too, which is, you know, it was a risk, but people seem to dig him. So that's good. I've really liked him pretty much from the get go and stuff, but I like to, we're like, you know, he's learning from Matt and everything, but he's also like a, a very strong character. And like in the, in the muse arc and stuff, like I loved, you know, when, with what Muse does to him and stuff, and he's still not worried about himself. You know, he's worried about, you know, if the people got out okay when getting his eyes, you know, smashed in and stuff. And yeah, yeah. I think it's a but really let me, great let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. <laughs> that so, was brutal. So, that, so I guess you've just said it. So yeah, he, he loses his eyes. Like the villain of that arc is is like a serial killer artist. He's super, super creepy. And I love the he's villain. He's badass. I love Muse. I love Muse. Yeah. I want to see more of him for sure. Yeah, he's <laughs> I got plans for him too. But the the idea with you know, with he blinds blind spot as kind of like this sort of it's almost performance art. He thinks it's this this cool, great idea. I'm gonna blind this kid named Blind Spot. It's beautiful. So he does it. And, but but sort of the net result of that um, is that you know a hundred people's lives are saved just because of sort of through the the machinations of the story. And so at the end of it, you know, Blind Spot's lying there in a hospital gurney, blinded, and and he's talking to Daredevil, and he's like, you know, is this did, did everybody get saved? Did everybody get saved? And he's, and Daredevil's like, yeah, you know, we saved them all. Everybody lived. And then he sort of turns his head away from Daredevil and he says kind of, you know, like weekly, he's like, then it was worth it. But, you know, he's a, he's a kid who just had his eyes taken. He's 19 years old. And the only thing that he can really do to give himself comfort at that point is to buy into this like hero sacrifice narrative, which is like, anything's okay if, as long as, you know, I'm being a hero and stuff like that. But in, do you, the question I would have for you guys is thinking about that scene, like, do you think he really believes that or is he just saying that out loud because it's what else is he going to say at that point? I feel I feel like, you know, he, he believes in it. He wants to help people a lot, but also like it was kind of a reassurance to himself. Like, you know, uh, th it has to be worth it. This is worth it. You know, something like that was kind of how I took it. Yeah. I mean, it has to be worth it. That's exactly that's the way to put it. You know, it's because if it's not worth it, then. Shit, I just lost my eyes, you know? Right. <laughs> well, I also, I mean, and you know, this is kind of reading into the character, but I think he was also thinking about his future because he's an illegal immigrant. And yeah. where's yeah. he going to find work now? And right. Yeah. yeah. Where's he going to get medical care? You know, like all of those, it's really, you know, and his, he doesn't, his mom is gone. He's got a sister that he kind of takes care of, like. This, his life just got really bad, really bad. Yeah, really and I, I love it, too, where, you know, uh, Matt also is always just so shocked by, like, the courage this kid has, where he's like, this kid, jeez. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So yeah. Tough. Oh, shit, yeah. that just reminds me. You said it's the end of six, uh, yeah, 16. Oh, shit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I never really had read much Daredevil until you had jumped on the arc, and it's been fantastic. But Thank you. My question to you is, uh, speaking of... Blind shot and Muse, uh, ten uh, was it ten fingers? I'm assuming these are all. I mean, blind shot and Muse are probably brand new characters. What? Where did these characters come from when you created them? Like, well, what made you well, think of Muse or Ten Fingers, and then write? Sure, sure. Well, I mean, they're all. You know, part of it was that I wanted to start with a new bad guy. To, again, it was it was all born out of wanting to feel fresh after Mark Wade's run, um, because I wanted to make it feel like I was putting my own stamp on the. I wanted it to feel like it was going to be my own story, whether you like 10 Fingers or not, um, you know, whatever. And then and then I also wanted to tell a story that was very tied into um, the, you know, the, the the Chinatown neighborhood the blind spot comes from. So so I was thinking, you know, a lot of illegal immigrants there and they're preyed on all the time because they don't really have a choice, just like we we're talking about before. Like if things go bad for them, they can't go to the cops. You know, they, they're, they're sort of stuck. And so blind spot sort of comes into existence because he's he knows that his his neighborhood like his people basically don't have anywhere they can't really use the legal system so so he's trying to defend them that way and and then ten fingers is is your classic kind of you know huckster who is who is creating this kind of i'm a savior narrative in order to to get people to give them their money basically i mean that's all there is to it and right. and i also really wanted to get a bunch of ninjas in early and so <laughs> because ron garney the artist is is great at ninjas so i um, 
So I was thinking, all right, so so let's see. The hand, the hand, the hand, fingers, the hand, fingers. And then I'm like, oh, what's, how about, his name is 10 fingers. Like, we all have 10 fingers, fine, whatever. But this guy has 10 fingers on each hand because it's just the creepiest thing I, you know, it just seemed creepy. And it was creepy. Um, so uh, that's really where he came from. And then Muse uh, was somebody I had in mind from the very start. He was in my initial pitch. And the the idea is simply, you know, I'm, I'm a, an artist myself. I'm a creator of stories and, and a lot of them. Like we were at the very beginning of this conversation, we we're trying to do a sort of a, a bibliography and it was going to take an hour to get through everything. So I, I write a lot of that and, and I work hard, um, but I, I make a lot of sacrifices for it. And, you know, my family, my, my you know, sort of relaxation time, like, you know, here it is, it's, it's almost 9.30 at night and I'm technically working right now, right? So, so the, but not that I mind, this is, I'm very happy to do this, obviously, but but it's kind of like I justify all those things to myself because, A, it's my job. But, B, I feel like I'm doing something that's sort of important to myself. It's I'm fulfilling my own dream of doing this work. Uh, but also, like, you know, it, it gives people – it puts stuff into the world that I feel like should be in the world um, in, a, in a good way. You know, you know what I mean? So I feel mm -hmm. like a lot is justified, you know, and, and my family's cool with it and, and all that, like we've talked about it. So so the idea is to take that to an extreme and, and find a guy or create a guy who, who thinks that literally anything he does is justified as long as it's done in the creation of art and uh, or in service of the creation of art. And that includes murdering people and turning them to horrible art exhibits and all the awful things we see him do. And so it's just it's something that I think every working artist thinks about. How much of your life are you supposed to sacrifice and put into your work? How much is worth it? How much... Should your family mind or care, you know, your relationship suffer, all that stuff. And then that's why that last line is, is, you know, then it was worth it. And, and, but it's ambiguous, you know, is it really, is it always, you know, it's, it's all that stuff. So that's where Muse came from. I, I just wanted to make him super creepy. And I thought honestly telling a, like a Hannibal kind of story with Daredevil would be a home run. And I feel like it came off really well. Oh, yeah, definitely. The He's, character, the writing, the, 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 the artwork, all I didn't and gave you or gave me that creepy Gamic. vibe with this guy, especially when at the end of the arc, when, you know, he's finally arrested by the inhuman police and uh, Daredevil rips off his mask. Yeah. Everything just was Gamic. Uh, yeah, it was badass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's horrible. That, that guy's the worst. He's so scary. But, you know, we'll see. Maybe he'll be scary again sometime. Oh, yeah. I hope to I see hope some so. used cosplayers. What will you do when you see your first Muse cosplayer? <laughs> I don't know. I, I mean, the funny thing is there's a lot of stuff that I've done since the last convention season. Um, I mean, the last United States convention I did was in uh, October, New York Comic Con. And so since then, you know, we've had this whole Muse arc has played out. Curse Words has launched. Um, there's been some cool stuff in the Inhuman world and, and X-Men, like IVX has been happening. You know, so I don't. I expect to see some pretty sweet cosplay. At, I'll be at Emerald City in about a, a little over a month, and uh, that's C2E2 later. And so both big shows. Yes. So I'm, I'm expecting to see some pretty sweet cosplay. I hope so. I will probably run away that when I see my. <laughs> <in the cosplay. laughs> all right, that's a challenge to all you listeners out there. If you're going <laughs> yeah. to uh, C2E2 or Emerald City, we need to see some Charles Soul Daredevil cosplay that can be Ten Fingers, who would be badass. Muse, who'd be badass. Definitely a black suit daredevil. Oh, yeah. yeah. How about some yeah. uh, blind spot too? Yeah, that would be fantastic. I've seen oh. two of those things. I've seen blind spot. I actually saw blind spot in China, which was awesome. I did a show in Shanghai, and That's cool. um, the, this this kid came up with a perfect blind spot. Like I don't know, you know, you can't really get comics there, so I don't know if he um, got them online or how the hell he found them, but it was perfect, and um, <laughs> he was very cool. And um, invisible. And I've seen a couple a couple <laughs> black suit with like red wraps. Uh, uh, Daredevil. So I haven't seen him use yet. I haven't seen a ten fingers, but uh, you know we'll see what happens. So was the new suit? Was that Ron's idea, or was that yours as well? Um, it was. It was both of our ideas to have a new suit, um, and and we wanted it to feel, you know, kind of fresh. Like the 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 tone of the book is very noiry and very dark in its own way, mm -hmm. and so we wanted it to feel, you know, like a like a like just a dark. Like Daredevil was kind of in the shadows a little bit more, but then we also really wanted to pull in all those boxing elements. So that's why he's wearing those, those boots. Uh, that's why he's got those boxing wraps around his hands. And yes. and I think yeah, that both I of that. those both of those things are elements that we, you know, they, they really came from Ron. But it was it was part of trying to find a way to make him feel very visceral, but also not really look like he, there was, he had a black costume before during that Shadowland event. And we mm -hmm. wanted to to not really just. I mean, it echoes that, of course, but we wanted it to still feel distinct. And, and I think Daredevil in the black costume is pretty sweet. Um, oh, so, you know. Exactly. Yeah. I agree. I actually prefer him in a black suit, uh, personally. And, and I love the wraps around the hands and stuff, too, as they can to the boxing 
background. That was awesome. It's kind of like the comic has a synergy with the uh, the Netflix TV series. Did you have you seen the Netflix series? Yeah, I have. I have. I've seen the whole first season and I've seen the first bit of the second season. And and I, you know, eventually when I'm if and when I'm I mean, I'll be off the book at some point and I will watch the rest, but you know, it's it's funny when you, you know, I'm really trying to do this book sort of stay true to my own compass on it, and when you start getting, you know, a really well-defined take on another medium, it leaks into yours no matter what you do. And so um, I know that it's great. I know that the first season was a lot of fun. And, and what I saw of the second, just with the Punisher coming in, was great, too. But I uh, I kind of want to wait. Like, I actually haven't watched, you know, I haven't watched Luke Cage or Jessica Jones either, except for just a little bit at the beginning, just to kind of get the flavor of it. Because, I, you right. know, I need to write these characters. And if if I if they're too in or my head. Or bleed into uh, the other or something. Yeah, a little <laughs> yeah. bit. And that's not always bad. But I just, I kind of want to make sure that if I'm, this is my shot to write these guys and I want to write them my way. Right. I just love it because you brought back the true. You got a guy named Daredevil. I mean, it's not going to be campy shit. So I love the fact Mm -hmm. that it's back to the, like you said, dark and noir. You know, especially in 16, he he kind of has to soul search a little bit and he's he's calling for help from, you know, a divine calling. But then he finally realizes you don't do deals with God. You do, you make deals with the devil. And uh, I love that line, dude. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. That was a, um, you know, it's, it was really, so you look at the whole, I mean, that was really the end of the first year on the title, pretty much. I mean, you know, there's been some double ships here and there. And so, um, you know, the idea was to, to, to bring him back to his faith because he's been, he's, I mean, I was raised Catholic and, and Daredevil was famously a Catholic. And then he, he stepped away from the church in his, um, uh, in that Guardian Devil book that Kevin Smith did a long time ago um, mm-hmm. with Joe Posada. And, and so he hasn't really been like all those sort of scenes where he goes to confession and talks to priests and all that stuff. Like he hasn't done that in a really long time in the book. And I just thought it was such a cool element of his character. It doesn't mean he's going to be going to church every Sunday or anything like that. But I think the idea that he he's thinking about it more than he has been in recent years is, is a good thing for the character. So, so that was, that was kind of another big thing on the agenda to, to bring back to the book. Um, and, and Gorn Suzuka drew that issue and did like an unbelievable job with the whole, you know, facing bullseye, who's kind of his devil, um, and, and just kind of the way it all played out. So it was very, a very high concept thing. You know, the whole issue takes place in the span of that one rifle shot. Um, and, and I just, you know, I, sometimes you really want to, you know, swing for the fences and try and do something that's very personal and special. And, you know, I hope it didn't come across like a preachy or anything like that. It's just I thought that it was it felt very right for the character at this point in time and the journey that I'm having him go on. So and we got a new character along the way. Yeah. Father Jordan. Yep. Dude, he's, cool. he's badass. Yeah. <laughs> I can't yeah, wait Father to see Jordan what you do with him. Is, yeah, there's a there's an awesome thing planned for Father Jordan. And it, it um, it'll take a, he'll be in the book for a while. And okay, then cool. the, the incredibly cool thing will come up and you get a little hint of it with what he does in this issue. You know, that order of the dragon or, you know, order of Dracona stuff. And yeah. so, um, is that yeah, real? It's, uh, it is real. Um, whether it's real now, I don't know. It was real in like the 15th century, but it, whether or not it still exists in any form like Father uh, Father Jordan talks about, maybe you'll have to wait and see. Okay. Right now. now, you're from, or you live in New York City now, right? Yep. I'm looking out at Brooklyn through my window. Yep. Do you ever, uh, I know this is cheesy. I live in Dallas, Texas. I visited New York City twice since 2015, and I loved it because it really kind of put some perspective on the books, especially Daredevil. Uh, I dragged my wife. I dragged my wife all the way down to Hell's Kitchen area. Me and Batcrap were walking around Hell's Kitchen, and we came across that St. Paul's Church that has yeah. the cross. I sure. think it's on 51st or something like that. Yep, yep, yep. And it, I don't know. It was just a kind of a cool vibe. I mean, do you ever go like? around the city and and think and brainstorm about okay this is what I, do. I could I, do you know i've i mean i've lived here for 20 years so i believe me i've spent my time in hell's kitchen i used to have a job over, one of my first jobs in new york was at um, 49th and 9th which is uh which is right in the heart of it it's right it's it is literally right in the middle of hell's kitchen so um so i've spent a lot of time there uh and and you know you spend 20 years somewhere and you kind of you've been everywhere you know really i mean there are sure there are there are corners in new york i haven't visited but i've been i've been to a lot of it so um it's i feel like it's something i can write with a lot like i can write the character of new york with a lot of authority uh now which is a really useful thing to be able to do especially for daredevil but you know the whole marvel universe uses new york as its most of its backdrop and there are some exceptions but you know it it, you think of the the m you know the marvel universe and you kind of think of new york at the same time so Whereas DC, it's 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 Gotham, it's Metropolis, it's you know Co City, it's places like that, Keystone. But the um, I think you know Marvel is mostly 
uh, New York, a little bit of L.A. Um, and then beyond that, it's hard to even, you know, then it's the places like Latveria and things like that. But really, you know, it's, it's New York. The last time I was up there, um, it was in September. Batcrap and I were having some beers when that bomb went off on 6th and 23rd. And... You know, I mean, it was kind of it was scary at the moment, you know, and um, just seeing how the policemen and the firemen responded and stuff like that. It, it really showed you that. I mean, there are heroes in that city and it, it was a real eye opening experience for me not being from New York City to see how things happen like that and how not just how the, the local authorities and, and law enforcement react, but also how the locals reacted. Yeah, that's do you, true. Do you ever think about things like that and, and think, you know what, I can make a story in, involving this scenario and that scenario or, or something like that? Yeah, I mean, I, I do. Uh, it's actually something that I'm, I'm kicking around for a story to tell in Daredevil soon. But the, um, you know, it, it's, I was here for 9-11 uh, and, and I've, you know, the city, the city came together in a way that, that, is just amazing to see. I mean, we've actually seen the city really coming together recently since November. There's been a lot of a lot of election stuff that people have been talking about. Um, there's been, <laughs> you know, we had. I would listen. This is a small thing, but I was on the subway about a month ago, and um, you know, it, it screeched to a stop in the middle of the ride. And so you're, uh, I was on the, I was on the, the train with my daughter, who's ten, so she was little, and or you know, she she is little, relatively speaking, and. Um, you know, we, we sat on the train for, for an hour and then they finally told us we're going to have to be evacuated, which, again, 20 years in New York, first time it's ever happened, you know, the walk through the tunnel, which is kind of this part of New York oh. mythology that you're going to have to be evacuated through the subway tunnel. Um, oh, man. And, and my impression was sort of like they're going to have some flashlights, we're going to walk through the tunnel, and then eventually we'll make it to a platform and we'll go up. And then we had to shuffle through the train, like all like 10 cars. It took forever just to get out because they're letting us out single file. So that was like another 55 minutes. Um, so it, was, it took a long time. But we get out eventually to the train. And then when you finally come through that end door, you haven't been able to see the tunnel until that point. You see that there are like 250 cops and firemen there in the tunnel, like sort of lining the, the route you're going to take up to the platform. And, and they're there literally at every single step. They're watching you and, and ready to lend you a hand in case you need it. Because, I mean, part of it, obviously, they don't want to get sued if somebody breaks an ankle or something like that. But it's also they're just like they're taking care of, of the citizenry of New York City. And it felt, um, you know, you get up onto the platform and then there's all the like, you know, the, the brass of the firemen and, and the policemen. They're all standing there. You know, making sure everything's cool, making sure everybody's safe. And it just felt very, um, you know, you get you get wrapped up in kind of the craziness of the city sometimes. But like, you know, New York cares about New York for sure. New York cares about New Yorkers. And it was a um, it was kind of a it was a it was nice to be reminded of that, even though I had to sit on the subway train with an increasingly freaked out 10 year old for a couple hours. (laughs) Wow. The the tunnel is kind of cool, actually. Like it was. You know, they, they, there weren't any rats, which is what, every, you know, my daughter was freaked out about. It was, it was mostly... Um, <laughs> just Ninja like Turtles. They had, they, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but they, it was just, it was very like, um, like it just, it looked really old. And it is old. It's more than 100 years old, but it, it just looked like it was 100 years old. Like it had been made a zillion years ago and never upgraded and just kind of was this tunnel underground. And I don't know, it felt like, uh, I don't, like almost archaeological. It was, it was kind of cool, but... Anyway. And I know you, your brain is like spinning. You're like, oh, I'm going to use this shit. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, These days. The, the gravity of that story sign, uh, sort of makes my question feel trivial, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Uh, it's been uh, years now since we've had any intercompany crossovers between Marvel and DC. Uh, we have in, uh, in the past had two specifically Batman and Daredevil crossovers. Uh, and anyone who knows him is aware that Dustin Nguyen really would like to do the art for another Batman-Daredevil crossover. So, given your time on Daredevil and your relationship with Scott Snyder, what would your interest level be in writing with Scott a Batman Daredevil crossover? And how do you think Look, that it'd might be, go? It, it, it'd be sky high, and I think we could we would probably knock it out of the park. But it's really yeah. just, you know, we we don't get to make that call. Um, no, you know, right. there's, there's been it's been a long time. Like, I, what was the last DC Marvel thing? Was it was it? I think it was maybe the JLA. Yeah, or the Justice Avengers. League Avengers thing. Um, yeah, I think so. Yeah. And that was that was years ago. So it's just been a long, long time. And I don't know that the companies are are interested at the moment. But uh, believe me, if they were, you know, I think Scott and I would do it in a heartbeat. So, you know, maybe, you know, maybe, mm-hmm. maybe, you know, 
maybe we'll see. We'll talk to each other about it and see what happens. Damn right. That sounds awesome. Yeah. Um, you've written for uh, various Marvel characters and various DC characters. Um, if Marvel went to you and said, okay, Charles, any character you want to write for, but someone you've never done, who would it be? And then on the flip side, if DC came to you and said any character that you haven't written for. You know, if I had carte blanche at Marvel, I, I think the story I would do, I have this Punisher story that is, I, well, I have three. I have a Punisher story. I have a, a Captain America story. That's kind of a World War II set thing. And then I have a Wolverine story, like a Logan story. Um, and any of those would be, I think would be fantastic. Um, so we'll see. Some of those, I mean, you know, like they know about all of them. So it's not impossible that some of them would happen. It's just sort of like we we're talking about before, kind of the rotation has to come up for it to be the right time. Yeah. And they've also got me really busy. Like I'm working on, you know, like even if they said, yes, do that Punisher thing, it would be like a challenge to work it in with all the other stuff that I'm doing. But, you know, I find time. Um, well, you got to do a, a Punisher sort of with Daredevil. Oh, I did. Yeah. I did. And that was a great story. But this is this is a very particular thing that like is is it's like the best. It's the best pitch in the world for Punisher story, I think, anyway. And um, hmm. it just it's good. It would feel very fresh. It would still feel like him, but it would feel very like you know, like a big important thing in the Punisher story. So, you know, who knows, you know, time will tell, but I would, I'd love to write it. So, um, so that, and then there's at DC, you know, I mean, I loved, I wouldn't, I don't know that I'd go back to it right away, but I loved writing Swamp Thing, you know, like that was, that was really fun. <laughs> but as, as far as stuff that I haven't written, I mean, I, it would be fun to do a full on Batman story. I've only done one. Um, I mean, he was in Superman, Wonder Woman a little bit. And then I did a one 30 page, uh, like a Riddler story. It was called Riddles in the Riddler in the Dark. Um for yeah. that Legends of the Dark Knight anthology. So but that's mm. it. And I had a blast with that. Dennis Calero drew it. We had a really good time. He did it. He designed this incredible Batman or Batmobile based on like an old um charger, old Dodge Charger. So Batman would be fun. I'm sure everybody says Batman immediately. But if if not him, um <laughs> Booster Gold. Um, I think I could. I actually think I could probably write a pretty good Wonder Woman story at this point. I don't know. I I, I love the Flash, but I I kind of love him as a fan. Like I, you know, there's been so many. It's kind of like you know Daredevil or, or one of these other characters. Like there's been so many amazing stories told with these with the Flash. And once again, Mark Wade. <laughs> um, <laughs> that that it's hard to it's hard to know what it would do with him. But um, but yeah, they'd all be cool. Constantine, John Constantine is cool. Yeah. Um, oh. Yeah, I bet I could do a pretty fun Hellblazer type story. Is there an artist you haven't worked with that if they came yeah. to you, you would yeah. fall in love with? I'd love to work with Yannick Paquette. I mean, he did a two-page spread and near the end of my Swamp Thing run that was gorgeous. You know, we talk about, we, we're friends, we talk about working together a lot. I'd love to do something with him. Uh, Chris Somney would be great, although uh, Mark Wade has him and deserves to have him for some time to come, um, would be my guess. They're doing that incredible Black Widow run. Jimmy Chung is great. You know, I've never worked with him before. More with Steve McNiven. And I obviously, like, and I'm lucky to be working with everybody I'm working with. Like, I've worked with Lanil Yu at this point several times, uh, and he's he's incredible. Um, Steve McNiven, you know, as I said, is amazing. Um, Ryan Stegman, like, you know, it's just a just an endless list of lucky people. Joe Mad. Um, I mean, I could just list every artist I've ever worked with, but they're all just amazing. Does the artwork ever come back and you're like, you have like a eureka moment where you're like, Oh my gosh, I could add so much more to the story now that I kind of see it. Yeah, you know, and, and honestly, the person that tends to happen with the most these days is Ryan Brown, because he's, like we talked about when we were talking about curse words, he he adds so much on the page, and he he has a, like, we'll be even talking, and he'll be like, did you know I put I, I put us in that scene on the airplane? I'm like, what are you talking about? And he's like, yeah, look <laughs> at page four. And then I'm like, oh my God, there we are. So um, In curse words? With, yeah, in curse words. You have that issue hasn't come out yet, but we're in it. And then, oh, okay. and then in, sub, in the subsequent issue, um, like now that I know we're there, uh, I, I do something to us. And it's like, you know, it's stuff that I would never, <laughs> I would never have written this in. And I never would have written this, this, like the second scene if he hadn't made that choice. And so that is, that is the real fun of that book. And he's a genius at stuff like that. It's really, it's really just a good time to, to work with him. So, yeah. I love how uh, there's like in curse words, when he starts gaining his popularity, you start seeing like social uh, media comments like team margaret team margaret how's margaret yeah, like, and yeah. all this stuff <laughs> yeah yeah i mean you it, it's we wanted to or you know when i was writing all that stuff my my real idea was to really make it feel like this was taking place in the world that we live in and and having the world react to it like you know when you when you a lot of times when you read a 
I don't know, Batman story or Superman story or Spider-Man or whatever. Like you're seeing it from the hero's perspective. And, and in this book, I wanted to really involve the rest of the world in, in kind of the narrative. Like, so, so, but Wizard, just like any, just like any of the people, any of us, right? Like when we're, when we're doing our thing, living our lives, we sort of see ourselves as the central part of the story. And Wizard certainly sees himself like he's a big egotistic, you know, he's an egomaniac. So he sees himself as the only, the, his story is the only story that really matters. But we're seeing all of these ways that his story intersects with other people's that he doesn't even know about or care about. And so it's not like he's on Twitter or anything like that. So um, it just, I wanted, especially as he's like, as, as the stakes start getting higher and things start elevating and things get crazier and crazier in this book, like, the way that people start to react to him is gonna is gonna evolve, and um, and he maybe will never be aware of it. It's just gonna be kind of this this sort of side story throughout the book. And I just thought it was a really interesting thing to do that we haven't really seen done uh, in comics before. Are there any like specific comic stories that inspired you, or or you know when you first read them, you're like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. This yeah this. yeah for sure. You know, I'll tell you the uh, I have I have a big huge shelf. You know, it's not one shelf, it's like 10 shelves. And um, I have a, a section of it that is the special stuff, the stuff that really inspired me, that, that made me, you know, the, the, the stuff that really made me want to, uh, to, you know, up my own game. Um, and as I'm looking at it, it's books like Why the Last Man, it's Sandman by Neil Gaiman, um, it's Ex Machina, that was another uh, Brian K. Vaughan book, uh, Lock and Key by Joe Hill. Um, what else do I see up there? That's amazing. Um, Garth Ennis, like Preacher, for sure. Oh, my God. Preacher is the best. Um, <laughs> did you watch then, Preacher Netflix? I did. I did. That one I watched because I'm not writing Preacher. Uh, I thought it was I thought it was great. It was so different, but I thought it was an adaptation that really, like, it felt true to the spirit of the book. And, like, <laughs> I felt like those characters were, you know, like, one step removed from what they were in the book, but, like, close enough that I really liked it. And it, I felt like it had the, the, the right kind of moral tone that the... Um, that the comic did. And I, I don't know. I liked it a lot. Did you guys like it? I thought it was cool. It was pretty yeah, crazy. Yeah. I liked it. Grass face and whatever now. I have a Star Wars question. You wrote, what, a couple stories of Star Wars, right? Yeah, I've written three books so far. I've written uh, Obi-Wan and Anakin book, the Lando book, uh, which is just nominated by the young... American Librarians Association of America, something like that. Uh, young Adult Libraries, whatever. It was picked as one of the best books for 2017, which is awesome. Um, oh, but nice. then I also write uh, the Poe Dameron oh. Mongo series, which is set in the, um, you know, the the Force Awakens timeline. So those, that's the Star Wars stuff I've been doing. So I was going to ask, does Marvel throw the characters at you that you want to write, or do you kind of get to pick? Who you want to write? Well, it depends. So when I first started, it was early. Like, they hadn't done too many of those miniseries. At this point, they've done them on, on most of the characters from C-3PO to Chewbacca. But when I started, the only one that they had really announced that they were working on was Princess Leia. So the, the playing field was pretty open. And so um, the Star Wars editor, Jordan White, came to me. He's like, you know, so who would you want to write one of these minis about? And I said, well... Um, you know, the two characters that seemed like they'd be really fun would either be Lando or the Emperor. And so I pitched on both, and, and both were kind of, like, close to going. Like, I could have kind of picked which one I wanted to pursue. And I just sat and thought about it, and I was like, Lando just seems like I can have more fun with it, and I can tell a cooler story and, and just, you know, have a good time. And so that's what I picked, and, I, and it, it ended up being the first experience that I had. And I really, really, really think it, it was a nice book uh alex maliev drew it paul mons colored it and it was one of those times you know you do a lot of stories and i felt like the three of us were really really in sync about what we wanted that book to be since marvel has the rights to star wars i haven't read anything or saw anything about knights of the old republic are they actually going to go into that or no well knights of the old republic is part of the old um they call it the legends timeline now so when they picked up when disney picked up the license to Star Wars, one of the things that they decided to do was to, um, you know, kind of reset everything. So the only things that were canon on, at that point were the, the six movies and the Clone Wars TV show. Um, and I think maybe like a couple of young adult novels or something like that. And so starting from there, it ended up being all of the, uh, you know, the comics that started coming 
coming out, and the new video games have started coming out, and the Rebels TV show, and then Force Awakens, and that was it. And as far as Old Republic timeline stuff, uh, they have yet to bring anything back. Um, and there was actually a point, I was just reading about this the other day, where they were going to have, um, there's, a, there's a scene in like season five of Clone Wars, I think, where they wanted to have Darth Revan as, as kind of like yes. this, this old, yeah, this old Sith bad guy, like who appeared in a vision. And then George Lucas was like, no, no, let's make him Darth Bane. And so that's where he got Darth Bane in that bit. Um, I think it was on that, it was the stuff set on Malachor, which was the, the Sith homeworld. Uh, so... Yeah. So, but but that said, I mean, you know, I, stuff that they like, like there's this thing called the Lucasfilm Story Group, and they, generally speaking, have a lot of control over which ideas make it in to the ancillary material, like the, um, you know, I mean, from movies to comics to games to books to everything, and they are generally pretty cool with with bringing good ideas back from extended universe stuff, including that's the old Republic. And so that is not like a promise. Like, I don't, I'm not saying it's like, I know anything, but, um, like they, they've let me bring back a few little bits and pieces from extended universe because they're cool. Just, you know, little minor, minor, minor things, not like big characters or anything like that. But, you know, you see there's this Thrawn book coming out, Thrawns and Rebels. Um, and so they're open to it. It's a cool idea. And so I would not be surprised if at some point we see some of that material showing up, but again, I don't know anything. That's not a specific, like that's not like a clue or a hint. I just, it, it feels like the kind of cool stuff that they might someday, incorporate some of we'll see cool that'd be awesome very nice i'm surprised they haven't done a uh boba fett miniseries yet with the yeah popular... that's true that's true it's uh it's one of those characters that that they um they're very you know i don't know i don't want to say hands off or like overstated or anything like that but you know they they're careful with boba they're careful with yeah. yoda there's a you know there's some of these characters that they want to treat just the right way so that's all it is did you uh did you get a chance to read the darth vader series uh, of course, yeah. Uh, Kieran Gillen's oh. a, a good friend, and I thought it was phenomenal. I th- and so is Jason oh, yeah. Aaron's main Star Wars series. They're just great books. I think some of the best stuff we've gotten from Marvel in the last couple of years has been the Star Wars line. So, you know, again, taking nothing away from the uh, from the other stuff. But, I, you know, it's just we've gotten some really good Star Wars comics that just, you know, you wouldn't expect them to be as good as they are. It's been pretty fantastic. Charles, do you have a, a 2017 convention schedule? Uh, yeah, I do. I am going to be, uh, let's see, um, Emerald City which is in Seattle. That'll be March, I think, 2nd through the 5th. Then I'm doing uh, C2E2, which is in Chicago, I think around Woo. April 23rd, something like that. Yep, so it sounds like I'll see at least some of you there. Um, uh, you'll, you'll, you'll see the trunk there, there buddy. All righty. Um, <laughs> and then after that, yeah. I actually, the, the next show I have booked after that is in Uruguay. So if there's any <laughs> listeners in Montevideo, I'll see you there. Um, that's in May. Um, I, I think I'm doing Heroes, but I'm not sure. Like, I haven't locked it in, but I normally would probably do it. Um, then after that, I'm doing this weird thing. So so for Curse Words, uh, Brian Brown and I, we're going we're gonna to get a van, and then we're going to paint it like a 1970s wizard van, like one of those science fiction kind of fantasy art on the side. And then we're going to drive it around the country to a whole bunch of different comic shops and do signings out of the van. Um, and... Which I know sounds insane. Like, I agree. I think it's totally insane and crazy, but that's kind of the plan. If you come to Dallas, all the beer and barbecue you want on me. <laughs> all right. Well, we are, I mean, we're supposed to, like, Texas is a big spot. There's shops in Dallas and, and Austin and San Antonio that want us. So we haven't yes. locked on every location, but Texas is a big, is a big, almost for sure we'll be there. Um, awesome. So, yeah, we'll do Texas. We'll do, um, you know, there's Florida, all up the East Coast, Chicago, Detroit, all kinds of places. So, so that should be great. Um, but that's gonna t- we're gonna it's gonna take like three weeks in the summer. So that's gonna be a big uh, uh, a big kind of convention time. Um, and then after that, Baltimore, which I think is Labor Day or around Labor Day. And then I have New York, and then I have Vienna. I'm doing Vienna, which will be exciting. So, so that's the convention schedule right now. I might I might add one or two. Like that almost feels light to me, which is weird because it's not light. Um, <laughs> But uh, I love doing cons. I love getting to meet, you know, you guys and, and everybody. So I might add in a couple more. We'll see. Because of your con schedule, when you do every year, when you do do a lot of cons, do you try and write two or three stories before doing your con trip? My schedule is not as under control all the time as I would like it to be because there's always stuff that kind of pops up, like you revise this or, you know, we're going to do this a different way. This is going to be 30 pages now instead of 20. Like, you know, the, you need to have a lot of fluidity when you're writing um for Marvel or DC because they, you know, the, it's, it's a very dynamic uh, place to work, a very dynamic way to work, which is awesome. But it also means that sometimes, you, you know, you're writing on the plane, whether you want to be writing on the plane or not. So usually like I finished a script this afternoon, I finished curse words, a curse word script. And then, you know, immediately I started thinking about the next Daredevil script I need to write. So 
even like you're thinking of it like like there's times when I'm not thinking about the next script I need to do and that that really doesn't exist. So it's I'm <laughs> oh, always yeah. kind of working on the next one, whether I want to be or not. You know, I'm, I'm I work a lot. I work hard, but I'm also like I'm doing a ton of stuff like I sold my first novel uh, in November. And so that which was awesome and I was so happy to do it, but it, there's this whole like new cycle of work associated with getting a novel out into the world that I kind of wasn't aware of, um, <laughs> that I'm just kind of, now I'm doing that too. So it's, it's all, it's awesome, but I'm just busy all the time. <laughs> Didn't you just go on the, uh, the cruise? I did. I did. That was fun. Um, that was a rare, like I took the four days just to kind of hang out on the cruise and because a lot of my good friends were on it, uh, my family came. So it was, it was just a chance to, and I'd never been on a cruise before, so I kind of wanted to do it and really enjoy it. So uh, okay. Which is not to say I didn't work. I did work a little bit, but mm. I mostly tried to chill out, which was a pleasant, pleasant change of pace. <laughs> All right, Charles, uh, spill the stories. Who was drunk and wearing the lampshade on their head? <laughs> <laughs> um, it, was, it was, it was definitely a good time. Everybody had a good time. Like there was a lot of like you know, but it wasn't I, you know nobody was like it wasn't like that. It was mostly just people were just like yeah. kind of letting loose in a way that felt very relaxed in a good way. Like there was a you know, like a dance party, like a DJ you know thing on the last night. Um, and like a lot of us were just kind of like, like dancing on the dance floor with our kids. It was just, it was fun. It was really good. Um, you know, the fan two C crews, like I will, you know, I thought they did a hell of a job in kind of a first year they'd done it. Lots of logistical things to figure out, but I thought they did a great job and I would kind of recommend it to anybody who, who wants to do, it was a very cool experience and I hope they keep doing it. Let's put it that way. One thing that we always wonder, you know, besides being fans of the comics, uh, we also love to eat. We're foodies. <laughs> you, you're going to you're going to C two E two to to meet the trunkler. Are you going to partake in the deep dish pizza, or are you more a, a New York style type pizza guy? Listen, I'm a New York guy through and through as far as pizza goes. I mean, I yep. have to say it. I've I've had deep dish a few times, but I can't. Like I think, just think it's gross. Like it's cheese. Yes, take that trunkler. This is a little. Take uh, that truck, Charles. I have to interrupt you for a minute. I'm sorry, but you know this is a little biased, and you do live in New York for the past 20 years, you know. So, you know, I'm sorry, but when I see pictures of New York pizza, it looks too greasy. That's just, you know, hey, that's fine. That's fine. Listen, you can have all your Chicago gunk. I will. I will enjoy my light felt, uh, delicious New York pizza. More for me. Yeah, you don't want the digestive problems the uh, deep dish brings. <laughs> when, you, when you're writing, do you like to snack on any certain type of candy, a certain flavor of M&Ms or? No, I'm not a, I'm not a, um, generally I, I will, I mean the, my vice, my writing vice, if I have one is, is I, I will write in bars a lot. Um, not like every day, that'd be terrible, but like I'll, it's something, awesome. especially when I'm, when I'm like breaking a story. Uh, there's a couple neighborhood bars around here. And so when I say breaking a story, I mean like just taking my notebook and a pencil and just kind of thinking about the ideas more than like sitting down and typing it out. And, and I'll often do that in bars because like the environment's very lively. You know, there's people talking around me, there's music playing. I've, you know, I just have a drink. And um, so I won't do it for five hours because that's going to be kind of productive at a certain point. But I usually get something kind of, you know, like nothing too crazy to drink and just sort of nurse it for a long time. And, uh, and, and that I like, so that's, that's my equivalent of a bowl of M&Ms, I guess. <laughs> drink, drink of choice. Um, when I'm doing that, it's usually like a, a Jack and Coke. And I say lay down the Jack because, you know, it's mostly Coke, um, because <laughs> then you get sort of the, you know, the caffeine boost of the, uh, um, of the Coke. And then the, uh, the lemon is, um, is healthy because that's fruit. <laughs> very good very good now you said you're a musician so uh what what mm -hmm. instrument did you play uh, i still do i still play a lot i actually had a show at last new york comic-con um we did a a wizard party for curse words uh kind of in advance just to get the word out so uh my band and i all dressed up as wizards and played on stage it was it was a blast um we did uh like a bunch of my sort of the heavier stuff that i do as well like we did sabbath covers and it was fun um oh, shit man you're a rocker yeah. yeah, yeah. I've been you play guitar, sing, drum, what? Uh, I play guitar and sing, um, but I also play like the violin. I, I studied composition in uh, undergrad, so I, I, you know, I'm pretty accomplished as you know, like jazz and all kinds of different stuff. So uh, that was a rock show for sure. But I, I play a lot of different things, and it's it's something I really love. I wish I had more time to do it. Honestly, like if I ever slow down, it'll be to to do more music. So we'll see what happens. Awesome. 
Hey, if you ever need help working on a soundtrack, you call oh, your boy. Here we go. Here we go. All right. All right. No, I forgot the, the soundtrack. <laughs> That'd be awesome, man. I, I wish that comics came with like a downloadable soundtrack with every issue. That'd be awesome. Yeah. I think about, listen, I think about that all the time. I kind of wanted to do it for curse words. Like there's actually a, a curse words theme song that I've written um, and we did it at that show. And it was great. It's a great song. It's like it fits the book perfectly. And I would love to just get into the studio and record it. And I have like my band would love to do it. It's really just, you know, when do I find that day where I can go in and do it and get it done and get it done right. And so far, I haven't really had it. But uh, hopefully at some point soon I will. And you guys can all glory in the glory of uh, Mr. Magic, which is the name of the team. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> all right, sir. Well, uh, we appreciate your time. And thank you yeah, so much. Thanks a lot, Charles. Keep really pumping good. out yeah. the awesome Thanks, work. I will, I will do my best. Thank you for reading it. And uh, thank you for taking the time to talk to me tonight. Uh, yes, yeah. sir. Thank I'll you be, so I'll much. Be for, uh, I'll be waiting for you at the airport in Chicago at uh, O'Hare with a nice big old deep dish for you, Charles. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Delicious. I can't wait. All right. All right. All right. Hey, Gotham dwellers. Make sure to stop everything right now and subscribe to Bat Force Radio. We can be found on iTunes and SoundCloud. Don't miss out. Guaranteed to satisfy all of your Batman and DC needs.